Now, a moment ago, I said that um, I hoped we would begin to rethink friendship. And, you know, I, I believe that that's exactly what God wants us to do. And here's why. Friendship is older than time. Friendship has always existed. It existed before you and me were born, and it existed before this world was even created. And what I mean by that is that it existed within God himself, and it always has. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they have always experienced friendship between themselves perfectly. And the scriptures tell us that we were made in the image of God, meaning we were made also to experience friendship, which is awesome. But, what was, but that was messed up when mankind fell. We lost all bearing on what friendship is supposed to look like. And we're going to talk more about that later, but think about that for a moment. None of us have a clue or have ever experienced perfect friendship. And if we look back on our friendships, I imagine that what we would all see is a road filled with conflict and a road that is filled with separation and a road that is filled with backstabbing and unforgiveness. As I look back on my own road of friendships, I see brokenness and heartache. I see the beginning and end of friendships. I see the hypocrisy of my own friendship and I see me wanting acceptance and therefore presenting false versions of myself so that people would like me. But is that what friendship really is? Is that even experiencing friendship the way that it should be? I think that we would all have our stories of brokenness that we could bring up right now, and I bet it still hurts. But I hope that after this morning, we can begin to ponder these things and find healing through the word of God. And I hope that we can find peace and restoration and connectedness and freedom to be who we are in Christ and to have a chance to experience rich, deep relationships with our friends. Because church, listen, I truly believe that friendship is one of the greatest expressions of Christianity. I'll say it again. Friendship is one of the greatest expressions of Christianity. And loneliness is not the expression of Christianity. That's not how we were designed to be. So let's look at Proverbs 18 and verse 1. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In a study uh, done by the Department of Sociology at uh, Duke University, 25% of Americans have no one to confide in. Some of you are looking at me with hateful eyes. I know, I use a statistic from Duke, right? Yeah, um, ew, Duke, they cheat at basketball, right? And their mascot is a devil. Uh, we're Christians, we don't like devils, right? <laughs> uh, I, I know that's not the way to make friends, but anyway, um, isn't that astonishing though? The study says that 25% of people don't have someone to confide in, meaning one out of four people 
are going through life alone. Look around you. That means that some of them are here right now in this room. This means that some of you are here and you have no one to confide in. What a tragedy. Why don't some people have others that they can confide in? Solomon, the author of this book, is clearly saying that loneliness is not a good thing. He's saying that isolation breeds self-gratification above anything or anyone else. That's what he means when he says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And not only that, he says that isolation breeds a self-sufficiency that says, uh, uh, I don't need advice from anyone. Famous singer and songwriter Justin Timberlake said this quote about being alone. He said, the best part about being alone is that you really don't have to answer to anybody. You do what you want. Famous actress Marilyn Monroe said, it is better to be unhappy alone than unhappy with someone. In church, as much as we may like them, as much as we may love them, they are dead wrong in their understanding of what matters in life. What a sad way to live. I believe that the desire to be alone probably has its root in terrible experiences in relationships and friendships, but, but that's why we have the word of God that helps us understand better that isolation was never, never the intent for mankind. You see, being alone will keep you from facing you. Because when you go out into the world, you're going to step on toes and you're going to get your toes stepped on. And when that happens, we are faced with a situation in which we have to figure out how to work through it, which is good for us. Because those are the experiences that shape us into becoming uh, better friends. And the better friend you are, the better friendships you will experience. And the better friendships you experience, the better chance you have at understanding what it means to be human and to have the potential to experience relationships in a way that no other part of creation outside of mankind can even begin to imagine. Being alone keeps you from that. And while some may think isolation is good, it doesn't work out for extended periods of time. It can't. Because there's something in our nature that makes us desire to experience love and true acceptance from others. And and church, if that's an inner desire we're all born with as people made in the image of God, people who want to experience community with others through friendship, then why are there so many people, one out of four people who have no one? Well, it goes back to what I was saying earlier that we have lost all bearing on one fr- what friendship is supposed to look like. See, church, when, when mankind sinned against God, he lost his natural privileges to perfect friendship. And the first man on earth sinned against his first friendship with God. And it has been passed on to all of us so that we now have to fight to even begin to understand what true friendship is. The church is good news, and God gives us a definition of what a friend is. Let's look at Proverbs 17 and verse 17. 
Read it with me. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So here Solomon is saying that a friend loves, number one, and that, number two, a friend is loyal, and that they walk with us through adversity. You see, this is the framework of biblical friendship. This is what it means to be a friend. But how many of you have experienced an unloving or disloyal friend? I'm talking about someone who stands with you when you're up and things are going well and they like to be around you so long as there's no adversity that you're going through that would require you to lean on them. And then when calamity comes your way, when you get knocked down in life, they're gone. This reminds me of the story of Job and his friends who, after he lost all of his wealth and social standing, they basically deserted him because things got messy. They weren't true friends. And listen, I'm not talking about friends who don't like your pictures on Facebook or uh, respond to your text immediately or uh, even the friends who don't want to hang out with you every night of the week. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's a real example. Uh, Here's an example of true adversity. There was a lady I knew, and she shared um, a story uh, of a tragedy and um, that she had gone through, well, her, her husband had committed suicide. Such an awful thing uh, uh, to go through. I can't even imagine what that's even like. But, but what happened is the church that she was a part of, the, the, the people who were supposed to be her friends pulled away from her. Rather than being there for her and helping her navigate this tragedy, they left her alone. And she was a, a woman alone raising two young boys. You see a problem with that? Solomon is saying that friends will be there with us through thick and thin. No matter what the circumstance, a friend will love you and stay with you and help you work through whatever you're going through, even if it's just to say, I'm here for you and I love you. Church, one of the things that hurts my heart is when people who don't know how to respond to their friends when they're going through the loss of a loved one or even the loss of a job or really just anything that brings people down. And they say things like, well, God is sovereign and that's the way he wanted it to happen. Or it's all going to work for good. Basically, it's saying, look at the bright side even though you're going through hell. And while those statements may even be true, that might not be what people need to hear in that moment. And Proverbs actually deals with this exact kind of thing in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 20. It says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Think about the imagery here. It's like taking someone's coat off when it's freezing outside. Super uncomfortable, right? I would fight you if you tried that with me. But he also puts it this way. He says, it's like vinegar and soda. 
Now, it's not saying like vinegar like in Coca-Cola, although I'm sure that's probably a a kitchen hack for cleaning something. Um, But it's more like a substance, like a baking soda and vinegar. And what happens when you put the two together is it begins to get agitated and it bubbles up and it hisses. And that's the imagery Solomon uses to talk about what it's like when someone thinks they're trying to be helpful to someone who's down and they try to force them to feel better and quote unquote, get over it. That doesn't fit the framework of friendship. It isn't loving or loyal. It's not walking with them through adversity. As Proverbs 7.17 frames it for us. And it can really feel dismissive of what's going on for that person. It's kind of like when men say, suck it up. That's not actually loving or helping anyone in the moment. Sometimes it's okay for us to hurt and to feel the pain of our lives. Feeling pain is how we know that something is wrong. It's a real emotion. And so rather than trying to be Mr. or Mrs. Positive, a better way is to try mirroring the emotion that your friends are having when they're down. This is the way to be loving to them. By caring enough about them to empathize, we must become experts at empathy, church. Now, there's another aspect to uh, being a loving and loyal friend. Look again at the first part of verse um, of chapter 17 and verse 17. It says, a friend loves at all times. At all times. And church, this is where we'll begin to experience some freedom in our friendships. Because if someone is going to love at all times, then it's going to require them having knowledge about their friends. They will get to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and when people get to know each other better, when they move beyond the phase of small talk in the hallways uh, uh, after the service, listen, they begin to discover another sinner. And that means that as we get to know each other better, we better have a good understanding of grace because we will have to become experts at extending that grace. And look, grace is not just overlooking wrongdoing. Grace is also letting someone know when they're going down the wrong path. Let's look at Proverbs 27 and verse 6. says these words. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But don't we just love kisses? I would rather have a kiss than receive a wound if I'm honest. But it says that someone who just kisses all the time without wounding is an enemy. And what it means is that there are people who will only show you the external versions of themselves, but never letting you hear what they actually think about you and the things that you do. So for instance, some of you men exercise this idea of profuse kisses in this way. You may see one of your friends not taking responsibility for his life and and his family, and you may see him not leading them well. And for example, when a guy, uh, a, a guy friend of yours uh, goes home after work and he parks himself on the couch watching sports or binge watching shows, 
rather than engaging his wife or kids. We know men like this. They give all their time and energy to work, and then when they're off the clock, they don't want to do anything else. As if they've done their part for the day by just providing food for the table, and the wife is left running the house all by herself without any outlet for her emotions. Would it be loving to watch that man, that friend, and, say, and not say something? Should we be saying to that friend, great job, you provide for your family by working. You've done your part. Wouldn't that be encouraging him never to change? Is that all, is that all required? Animals do that. They provide for their families. But aren't men meant to lead, serve, or protect their family? We have to let them see this if they're going down the wrong path. Church, I can remember a couple of years ago, I, I was meeting with um, Pastor Howe. And I was telling him, man, uh, I'm just having trouble seeing passivity in my life and in my marriage. Uh, Can can you help me see? And um, I'll never forget this. He said, oh, it's there. And uh, church, those words have haunted me ever since. Uh, And then for the next 20 minutes, he began talking about all the ways that he's experienced passivity in his own life and marriage. And you know what? I left feeling pretty down. And that was because he rocked my world by saying, Josh, your passivity is everywhere. But I love Hal. And after that, I knew that Hal loved me. He didn't want me to remain the way that I was. But he called me up to living my life with more awareness for the good of my wife, my son, and the kingdom. Church, the wounds of a friend are loving and faithful. And I would say, men, don't be afraid to call out your friends in their sin. Because even though we would rather have the the kisses and bury our heads in the sand about the issues in others' life, it would be better to risk the friendship by challenging them rather than letting their soul be destroyed. And how about you ladies? Do you know some of your friends who are just spiraling? Maybe you know a woman who tears down her husband in front of her friends. Or a woman that is uh, given over to gossip and they're they're, they're your friend. Listen, if you're their friend, then you have to say something. You have to let your love for God and your love for your friend exceed your fear of confrontation and be kind when you say it. But folks, these are the things that actually breed trust in relationships. When someone is able to identify our blind spots and we're able to spot theirs. This is what friendship is. And we all need someone in our lives who will faithfully, lovingly wound us and who will speak words of truth to us. Now listen to me. This is not a license to be heavy handed with your friends. I don't think that that's what Solomon is saying. If you know that something you're about to say is going to wound your friend... Make sure that you have done the work of establishing a mutual trust with that person. Because if you don't have that kind of relationship with them, where you've made it clear that they can also speak into your life, then I wouldn't dare try to wound them. Church, this kind of friendship takes work. But it's worth it because in the end, we will be better friends. And here's the flip side. If, if you're willing to wound a friend out of love, you will also have to be willing to open yourself up 
to correction. And that's not something that uh, is just always discovered, but there are some things in our lives that we have to share because people can't really see those things in us. But we need to share them with our friends so that we can get help. Let's look at Proverbs 28 and verse 13. It says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, church, if I'm honest, I'm a master at concealing transgression. I lived most of my life as a Pharisee, letting people believe that I was a follower of Christ by the external things that I was doing. And the truth is, I still struggle with that today. And maybe some of you are here today and you struggle with that as well. And I think that what happens when we become believers is that we uh, learn how to keep some of our old self alive. And we begin to figure out once again how to check off the boxes that makes others perceive us as good Christians. Checking off the box is just enough transparency so that people will like us and respect us. But really what we want is for them to leave us alone so we don't have to deal with our sin. And church, I think this happens because we think that if we were truly honest with our friends, that they would leave us and not want anything to do with us. If we were to have an honest conversation about our struggles Some of us believe that people would be burdened by us. And so what happens instead is that we all become isolated to a certain degree. We're all alone to a certain degree. Running around presenting partial versions of ourselves for the fear of rejection of others. But can I say something about that? You're not the only one who does that. I think all of us have areas within our life that nobody knows about. And it's not healthy. Solomon is saying that concealing our transgressions makes us not prosper. Another way to say that is hiding our sin eats into the fuller joy of life that we should be experiencing. The joy of freedom. In friendship and the joy of acceptance from someone who's a friend willing to extend grace. The second part of that verse says that we will receive mercy if we confess our sins and forsake them. But how will we even begin to be able to forsake what we haven't confessed? You see, concealing our sin only hurts us. It keeps us from being free from those sins and being free with others around us. And it stunts the growth of our relationships since people don't know us. Why do we not think that we can speak with our friends about these things? Shouldn't we be able to? Would a friend actually stop loving us if we bore our hearts and laid them bare and shared what was really going on? Or will they walk through a, with us through adversity and remain loving and loyal? The truth is, how will we know unless we try? And maybe it's true. Maybe we will lose some friends by doing that. But it'll help you find true friends. It'll help you to begin weeding out who's there for you and who's not. 
here at Integrity Church, we have a saying that liars don't have real friends. And we, we say that because if you're hiding who you are, then you're presenting what you think others want you to be, and therefore you are not free, and you don't really have a friend who likes you for you. Why do we do that? I think it's because we don't really like who we are. It's because we don't believe that we're worth loving or worth someone's loyalty. And what an awful thing to be enslaved by. But really, church, this is no surprise. It's no surprise that we have issues with allowing our true selves to be known. As I mentioned earlier, the reason friendship is broken is because of the foundation of broken relationships that we inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Church, when they sinned against their first friendship that they had with God, it produced broken relationships for the rest of our time on earth. And after the man and the woman sinned, do you remember what happened? Yeah, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And then they hid from God. Church, their, their, when their friendship was broken, when communion with God was broken, instead of owning up to it and saying, hey God, we messed up. The first thing they did is they concealed their transgression as if it wasn't there. Can anyone relate? Isn't it so easy for us to hide our sin from others? Church, we don't have to hide our sin from God and from others. We can't even hide our sin from God. He knows. And you know what's awesome? That even knowing that we have sinned against him, he made provision for that. Please turn with me to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you see what's going on? It says here that God's wrath was on our heads for the broken friendship. And that we were enemies who needed to be reconciled to him. It calls us sinners who are in need of someone to uh, uh, make things right. It says that the penalty for what happened in the fall of mankind was death. But what else do we see? We see God showing his love. And how does he do it? By making a way to repair the broken friendship by Christ dying instead of us. 
And there is no longer anything keeping us back from him if we believe the good news. Church, we, because of this, we are now brought back into friendship with God. And I don't want us to be mistaken. I'm not talking uh, about uh, friendship in the human sense like we're buds or besties with God. That's not what I'm saying. It's a friendship far different than what we're used to. It's a friendship in which we get to experience God who is always perfectly loving and perfectly loyal. And in him, we have a friendship where he walks with us perfectly through adversity. We don't have that anywhere else. And so because of that, it really frees us to be able to be honest with our friends, to be able to confess sin so that our friends can look at us and extend the same grace that has been shown to them and help you work through it. So this morning, for some of us, we need to go and reflect on the good news of Jesus if you haven't yet believed. Uh, I, I hope that this may be the day for you that you find forgiveness of your sins that you find a friend in Jesus. They don't have to sep- your sins don't have to separate you from God any longer. For some of us, we need to rethink our friendships and ask ourselves, who is really there for me? Some of us need to ask ourselves, who is my faithful, wounding friend that I can confide in? How will I keep them? Some of us need to ponder, how is Jesus a real friend to you? And some of us need to ponder, how can you be a better friend and to whom? And church, maybe some of us need to come out of isolation and into community and friendship like we were designed for. And for some of us, we, we may need to confess sin that's keeping you from experiencing deep friendships. Church, listen, confession doesn't push people away. It actually draws them in. And for the most part, they're going to want to help. Listen, don't conceal your sin any longer. Remember that if you believe that Jesus is uh, who he says he is, someone who lays down his life for sinners, that you can experience a, a greater love than that, and you know the lanes that he's gone through for you, believe that he accepts you. And there are others who, uh, um, who are his that he will bring into your life who will also mirror his grace and his mercy and acceptance to you. Church, there is no earthly person who can actually love at all times and be a person who walks with us through um, adversity. Only Christ can be that for us. Will you connect with him and let him be the friend that you've never had? And I hope that as we begin to believe in his love for us, that it will bring us out of our hiding places of isolation and our hiding places of concealing transgression. And instead, we can exchange those ways of living into freedom rather than being enslaved by them. And, and we'll be able to let um, others know who we are by doing, and by doing so, we're going to receive the help from others that we need to continue living our Christian life and community both with God and with others. God help us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you, Lord, for your word.